the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yeah, you may be going through a tough time. These may be difficult days. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you can really say the best is yet to come. Jesus is coming again. This is not all there is. There is hope. There's a brighter day. There's a tomorrow. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. We're not very patient. Though we come from people that used to walk where they went and ride horses at best, we now are discontent if we get caught in traffic in our automobiles or the plane doesn't arrive quick enough. We're not patient. Though we used to be impressed when the printing became a reality and we could read a book, now we fast forward even as we're watching TV. We live in an on-demand society. And yet God's word tells us to be patient. It's hard, isn't it? Especially in traffic. Doesn't matter if we're moving, if we're not moving fast enough. If the person in front of us is not doing what we want them to do. We're impatient. And James says, while you wait, be patient. Easy for him to say, right? But he gives us an illustration. He talks about a farmer. James may have been a farmer before he was a pastor or as he was a pastor. It's something that every one of his readers could understand. It's something we can understand. We came through kindergarten. In kindergarten, you had to put the seed in the styrofoam cup, right? And, and you learned that when you put that seed in the styrofoam cup and, and when you went to class every day, if it was Miss Floyd's class, you'd go to Miss Floyd's class, you'd put water in that styrofoam cup where the seed was sitting in the dirt. And over time, it may take a few weeks, it may even take a couple of months, but you would see something green begin to sprout. James was talking about the farmer. Why? Because the farmer teaches us that waiting is not just about what you get at the end. It's about what you become in the process. James is saying, as you consider the the farmer and how they celebrate what God is allowing them to produce through his creative work, remember that in your life. Remember that God is at work that he's doing something you may not understand, you may not see his plan, you may not can even trace his hand, but trust him. The farmers learn to be patient, to celebrate the wait. He first says, be patient, but then he says, be prepared so you can celebrate the wait. Now, this is going to sound redundant. Notice what he says in verse 8. You also be patient. <laughs> Do you get it? Verse 7, be patient. Just like the farmer's patient, you be patient. And you also be patient. Why is he saying that? Well, because we're stubborn, because we're thick-headed, we don't understand it. He knew we would need to be reminded of the importance of patience. And he uses a little different word. He uses a word that means to be steadfast. 
See, James knew that waiting exposes a battle that's taking place between weakness and doubt, a war that's being controlled over our hearts. So he would say, be steadfast in your heart. Do the heart work so that when you go through life's waiting times, you're not caught unprepared. It's the same reason that Paul would say in Galatians, let us not grow weary of doing well, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up as we wait. So how do we make our hearts stronger? That word steadfast also means to strengthen your position. How how do you make sure you're standing strong? You're prepared so when that wave, that tsunami comes your way and you're knocked off your feet because you've got a health diagnosis you don't understand or you've got a work loss situation that you weren't expected or you've got a marital crisis that you didn't see coming. How do you do that? Well, basically, James was saying, get in the book. Learn from what God's already given you. Specifically, learn from the prophets. What did the prophets teach us? They taught us that you can celebrate the wait. Why don't you say celebrate the wait? Just think about it. We can go back all the way to Noah. Noah knew there was going to be a flood, but he had to wait. God told Abraham as an old man, you're going to have a baby, but he had to wait. God promised Moses that he would get to go to the promised land. But he had to wait. Ruth, Ruth desperately wanted a husband, but she had to wait. Hosea, Hosea was in this conflict in his relationship with an adulterous wife, but he was trying to trust God. But in the midst of that trusting, he had to wait. Jeremiah the prophet was thrown down into a well. And in the bottom of the well, he trusted to God, but he had to wait. Daniel, I was reading early this morning, Daniel was placed in the king's palace in this position of prominence and importance. But he saw his friends get get thrown into a fiery furnace and, and he was thrown into a lion's den. And we find himself in this place where he had to wait. They waited, but they strengthened their position as they waited. Their hearts grew stronger as they saw how God would work in the midst of their waiting time. And how do we know it? We know it because they witnessed as they waited. What if part of your strengthening as you go through these difficult times is an opportunity for God to use your story for his glory? We have a story to tell, right? What if that's how God is preparing you? What if that's what he's doing? They just talked about God even more. What if you went through the problems of life, you found yourself in that waiting time, and that made you just focus on Jesus more than you've ever had? That makes sense. Think about the prophets. But James knew they needed to get more specific. So uh, he said, and remember Job? Job is described as being steadfast. So I want you to be prepared. I want you to get steadfast, to be strong in your heart. Well, look at Job. What happened with Job? Well, the Bible says that a conversation took place in the heavenlies. The enemy, the father of lies, Satan himself, Lucifer, the devil, he went before God. And before God, he asked for permission. See, just remember, even Satan knows his place in the eternal perspective. He asked for permission 
to test Job's faith. He was basically saying to God, hey, this man, Job, they say he's righteous. There's none like him. But I'm just telling you, he's just acting that way because he's got it so good. Same thing you hear today. Some people, boy, if I had what they had, then I would live like they lived. I I would be better too. But God said, okay, give it a shot. Just don't take his life. And so he did, man. He, He took everything from Job. Do you remember the story? He took his kids, he took his, his wife, he, he, took, he took everything from Job, his fortune. But what did Job do? Job one twenty one said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All right? He said it once. Is that steadfast? Well, let's see what happened as this continue. Look at Job 13.5. Though he slay me, I will hope in him, yet I will argue in my ways to his face. What does he say? Hey, I may not understand this. I may struggle with God. I may be one who wrestles with God, but I don't care what happens. I'm going to place my hope in him. What a testimony. What if you said that? What if that was your posture in waiting where you said, God, I don't understand this. I don't like this. I don't want this. I want this to go away. However, my hope is in you. You have not failed me. You are there. You're still at work. I sense your presence. And so he, he goes on. What does he say in Job 19, verse 25? For I know my Redeemer lives. And at last, he'll stand on the earth. James was saying to Christians, people like many of us, he was saying, hey, live in such a way that no matter the circumstance of your life, you can say, I know it, I know it, I know my Redeemer lives. What else could Satan do? The only thing left he could take from Job was his life. The only thing left for Job was to die. But that wasn't going to happen. You know why? Because God has a, had his hand on the thermostat. He was controlling how hot it was going to be. He was in charge of the temperature. Same thing's true in your life. You can trust him because regardless of the circumstance, he is in control. James was trying to say, you don't need 20-20 vision. You need 50-20 vision. You know what 50-20 vision is? It's the story of Joseph. He's another one of those that God gave a dream, but he had to wait. And so in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he says, as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive just as they are today, 50-20 vision. James was saying, you need 8-28 vision. You know what that is? That's Paul's message in Romans 8-28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. He's saying, you look into the word and you figure out how to make it through these tough times. How do you celebrate the wait? You get prepared and know that you're not going to doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. You're not going to trade what you know for things you don't know. You're going to trust him. James was letting us know that Job believed in both the sovereignty and the sufficiency of God. If you read that whole book, you'll find out that his waiting was messy, but he waited. And your waiting moments may get west messy. They, they may be filled with doubt and seasons of discouragement. But ask God to make you steadfast so that you can wait. Well, what is steadfast? It's active obedience as you wait. So don't get caught up waiting for relief or, or crying for release. 
but embrace God's refining work and celebrate the wait. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Saying you need to be patient as you wait. You need to be prepared so you can celebrate the wait. But you need to be positive as you celebrate the wait. This is maybe my favorite word for our day. Look again at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You ever have anybody knock at your door, ring the doorbell, or now everybody's got ring video. So somebody comes to the door, you can see who it is. (laughs) You decide whether or not you want to go to the door. When somebody comes to the door, what do you do? Well, you, you make sure you're okay. There are times that I'm not dressed to go to the door, and you know what I do? I hide. You do too. Don't judge. Uh, Other times, I make sure I'm dressed. I look in front of the mirror. I want to be prepared when somebody's at the door. We do the same thing when someone calls, right? You ever clear your throat after you've not been talking when the phone rings? I'm a pastor. Sometimes I get called in in the middle of the night, 2 o'clock in the morning. The phone will ring. I'll answer. Hello? 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 And always kills me. They'll say, oh, so sorry, pastor. Did I wake you? Two in the morning. No, 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 no. I was up having my quiet time. (laughs) We prepare when someone's at the door. Listen to James. Saying, don't grumble. As you wait on the coming of the Lord, as you're hungry for the presence of Jesus, don't grumble. Because Jesus is at the door. And the word grumble literally means kind of an inside discontent. We're going to talk about expressing it outwardly. But right here he's talking about just being discontent on the inside. You know people like this. They're just negative. They're grumbling. They're always fussy. They always want to stir the pot. They're, they're miserable. They're easily offended. James is saying, no, be be positive, be a peacemaker, give people the benefit of the doubt, be joyful, be one who's easily forgiving. He's challenging us to have a sweet disposition as we wait. And I'm just telling you, I believe this is a word for the church today. There is so much stinking negativity in the world. Just turn on the news. Just listen to any political candidate. You want to talk about the race cultural crisis? We just want to be negative. We just want to grumble. We want to talk about how bad it's always been. And James is saying to Christ's followers, stop it. Yeah, you may be going through a tough time. These may be difficult days. 
But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you can really say the best is yet to come. It's not because of some political candidate. It's not because you're going to have laws changed. It's not because you're going to make a fortune. The best is yet to come for a follower of Christ is the promise that Jesus is coming again. This is not all there is. There is hope. There's a brighter day. There's a tomorrow. When we grumble, when we grumble, it's as if we're saying to God, I'm a better sovereign than you are. I can do your job better than you. All grumbling is grumbling against God. Because what we're saying is, you didn't handle this, I got to take over. There's no neutral grumbling. Think about the wilderness wanderings, the children of Israel. They're grumbling. (laughs) But it's not just our attitude. We could probably stomach it if it was just our attitude. No, James doesn't stop there. Look at verse 12. Now, when you read this after reading the others, it seems like for a moment that you think, well, that verse is out of place. That doesn't go. Notice what it says. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. It seems out of, uh, out of place, but it's not. James is saying in addition to having a, a sweet disposition, you need to have a sincere declaration. What happens when we face tough times? Oh, dear Jesus, if you just get me out of this, I promise you, I'll be in church every week. Oh, God, if you, you just help me through this financial mess, I'll start tithing, I promise. God, I know I blew it, but if, if you just save my marriage, I promise I'll be loving and I, I won't cheat anymore. I'll be forgiving. We make promises that often we don't intend to keep, but sometimes we're not able to keep. James is saying, don't promise something you're, you can't deliver just because the times got tough. You need to live in such a way that you don't have to emphasize what you say, that people see the faith in you. They see the steadfastness in you in such a clear way that your yes can simply mean yes and your no can simply mean no. So really, James is saying, as you wait, You're either going to be filled with grumbling or gratitude. You get to decide. You get to decide what it looks like while you wait. It was eight months after that first visit to the hospital, almost eight months to the day before my dad, um, he experienced his eternal reward in heaven. And I have to tell you, Hands down, the hardest thing I've ever walked through in life. I had to learn to celebrate the wait. I didn't understand it all. I mean, there were days we just cried out to God earnestly. God, you are the great physician. You're the one that can heal. Uh, Please heal my daddy. There are other days, many days throughout those months that we cried out, God, it doesn't seem like you're going to heal him. Give him a sweet release. Just let him go home. Don't let him suffer anymore. Just waiting. But as you walk through those waiting days, you have to learn to celebrate the wait. Some of my favorite life memories will be those times that I was able to gather with my dad 
and just put on a CD of hymns. A CD that I had downloaded uh, after he had the first stroke. I remember before he had the brain bleed, we could drive around and just, he would know every word to all those hymns. So almost every time I was with him, I would just, I had to put on those hymns. In his last days, the last two nights before he entered into his eternal reward in heaven, I stayed with him there in the nursing home. And in the moments where I didn't feel like I could keep my eyes open anymore, I just put my hand on his chest as, as I would hear victory in Jesus, my Savior friend. As I would hear how great thou art. As I would hear what a, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And so when we came to that moment, we were able to say this really is a moment of celebration. Sad, but a moment of celebration. Because in the midst of the wait, we learn to celebrate the wait. Have you learned that? I pray that you have because it will allow you to have a more fulfilling life. But even more importantly, I pray that you have because that's what you do to prepare for the returning of Jesus. And just as we begin, we end. Jesus is coming again. Are you ready? Are you expecting or are you confident that he is coming, that he's got you? Christ follower, you know you're going to heaven, but you're at this place where the waiting has just become overwhelming. Be encouraged today. Be encouraged by the words of Isaiah who was speaking to children of Israel who were downtrodden, who had no hope, who didn't know if they could survive. And he said to them in Isaiah 40 and verse 29, he gives power to the faint. Maybe you're faint, he gives power. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Maybe you feel weak, he'll give you strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall be exhausted. But listen to this, but they that wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Oh, Christ follower, be encouraged today and ask God to give you the ability to celebrate the wait. But there's no question in my mind that some of you that are hearing these words, you don't have that confidence of your eternal home in heaven. You don't have the the hope of spending forever with Jesus. You've never taken that step where you've truly surrendered control of your life to him. You don't need to, you don't need to wait. You need to be redeemed. The, the Bible says that every one of us are born separated from God. It's because of this nature of sin. It's not just what we do, it's who we are. And the Bible says if we don't do something about that, we're going to spend forever separated from God, ultimately in a place called hell. And God does not want that. So he did what we could not do because we would be left helpless and hopeless. We can't do anything. He sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus died on the cross. Remember, he lived a perfect life, but he died a criminal's death. Why? Because he was being punished for your sin and my sin. And when he died on the cross, he bore all the weight and all the pain and all the punishment necessary so that you and I could have freedom so that we could have life, so that we could be redeemed. When he rose from that grave, he showed us that we could live in him. My friend Benji wrote 
the words of this song that I think describe what you need to do. Describes where some of you are. Listen to this. Seems like all I can see is the struggle. Haunted by ghosts that lived in my past. Bound up by shackles of all of my failures. Wondering how long this is going to last. Then you look at the prisoner and say to me, son, stop fighting a fight that's already been won. You've been redeemed. You set me free. So so I'll shake off these heavy chains and wipe away every stain. I'm not who I used to be. I've been redeemed. Some of you today, you need to be redeemed. And the good news is, God wants to redeem you right here. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.